Okay, Jeff, I got some stuff over here, but I got I got a lot of stuff that's in development that I'll not be talking about today. But uh, I've got a few in, random things, but I got one. It's a real one of these things going to be a real treat for you. I think for you, I think you'll really enjoy this. Oh, really. Thank you for listening this, to this, the so Fields this is our New show. Year's episode. Yes, yeah. New Year's Eve, the highly anticipated or slightly less highly anticipated compared to our Christmas episode. This is where so, we give you our sixty-two New Year's resolutions that we want you to abide by what we want you to do and just uh, incorporate into your life and um, try to make at least four days doing these. I enjoy Christmas but I'm always glad when it gets over as well and get back oh, to I am kind too. of normal routine. I always feel a little bit like Scrooge <laughs> for that too. I know. So, I'm with you there. Um, uh, so anyway, what you got? Oh, let me, let me, this has nothing to do with New Year's but we we, the pirate bible we've talked about that so this will be the last <laughs> this will probably be our last mention of the pirate bible but you know a friend of mine thank you thank you one Jeff of our listeners that. anyway uh, the, the one of our listeners that i mentioned before finally got his copy of the pirate bible and so he sent me a a screenshot of galatians 3 okay so you know we know what galatians 3 says in most uh translations you know it's the basis of our book hey we can mention that right at the first of the podcast instead yeah. of the end here so breaking the hex life with god after the cross killed religion uh, makes a great gift for Martin Luther King Day, President's Day, Valentine's Day, um, uh, St. Patrick's Day, whatever. Anyway, so, um, and we quote, in that book, we quote from the message, and that's where the phrase, breaking the heck. So, and the, the the message paraphrase, later, current editions don't have the word hex, but, but back when we wrote the book, that was what it said in there. And then we've read, we also quote in our book from the um, Pigeon Bible, um, and I forget exactly how that reads, but that's kind of fun to read yeah. that Hawaiian dialect. Well, this is, I'll just read like maybe the first uh, three, four, five verses from Galatians 3 in the Pirate Bible. So you ready for this? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> See if I can read this right here. Ye scurvy dogs of Galatians, who be casting a spell on ye that ye don't be hearkening to the truth. So wait, whose well, eyes... Just stop for just a second. Ye scurvy dogs. Now, so in the pirate, the pirate translations, a scurvy dog would be somebody who was mixing law and grace because that's what they were doing in Galatia. That's what he's I guess ready to fool, You know, the most translations say you foolish Galatians, but scurvy so dog is a little so more I guess graphic. Foolish is there. Oh yeah, you scurvy yeah. dog. Yeah, yeah those, those mixing your law. Yeah. Hey. Okay. All right. You interrupt the reading of God's <laughs> word here, Roger. Okay. We'll try that might have to. Could that yeah. be the title <laughs> of the podcast? You scurvy dogs. No, no, okay, I'm good with that. <laughs> Ye scurvy dogs, O Galatians, who be casting a spell on ye that ye don't be hearkening to the truth, afore whose eyes Jesus Christ be clearly seen, nailed to a cross among ye. Yar, tell me, matey, did ye receive the Spirit by your worky work? Don't you love that? Worky by work. your worky work, according according to the law, or by trusting and believing? Are ye so daft to set sail in the, I love this, set sail in the Spirit, but now made ship shaped by the flesh. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. That's verse, not a bad, you know. Verse 4, have you, that. have you endured such a lot for naught, if still for naught, he who by giving ye the Spirit and performing miracles among ye, even it by the toils of the law or by hearkening of faith. So anyway, my favorite things are, or favorite parts of that is, did you receive the Spirit by your worky work or by trusting and believing? And then you set sail in the Spirit, but now made ship shaped by the flesh. So well, now I might have to get me a a pirate's pirate Bible. Bible. <laughs> yeah, I might have to do that now. The um, yeah, he uses they use the term scallywags on down farther here. Um, verse eleven. R, be clear, 
For all ye scallywags, no man be justified in the eyes of God by the law. Tis plain as the nose on your face. Only steadfast righteous will find life by faith. The law can't be trusted, yet any scallywag who follows it shall live by it. So anyway. All right. Well, there you go. uh, Start your New Year's with the uh, encouragement from Galatians 3 from the Pirate Bible. So for all ye scurvy dogs out there, scallywags, all that. So One of the things, to be clear, that we talk about, in this part, one of the kind of underlying, you know, truths that we believe, and we don't always say it clearly, or we don't, you know, we, it's just something that's kind of always behind things, but we just don't believe in mixing law and grace. And to mm-hmm. say it simply, we just believe that Jesus paid the full price on the cross. Um, we're in Christ. Um, we're completely who we are by what he has done for us, not by what we do for God. What we do for God is what the Bible calls law. Uh, what God has done for us is called grace, and it's the good news of the gospel. And you don't mix the two, and it's the mixing of the two. Most people don't believe totally in law. I mean, they right, do believe right. that you know, they, they know the story of the cross and the story of what Jesus did in resurrection, and they know the the idea that He died for our sins. They know they know that, but they still tend to be uh, way heavy on the law side, or at least even at least some mixture of their efforts, and that's really what messes things up. Jesus talked about the yeast of the Pharisees, yeah, the yeast, you know, that which is a little your, bit of yeast in there yeah. that that can mess it up, yeah. yeah, and really really does mess things up. So anyway, I have an analogy. You know, one of the things that um, Lori's always doing is um, I'm killing moles on the property. You know, she hates moles that tear up the. We, have, we have I haven't a, heard you mention much yeah, about that lately. Yeah. That's still a thing, huh? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it, well, it's, it's a little bit less of a thing because Lori's gotten pretty good at it. We've probably eliminated a lot of them, but they do tear up the ground. They still come back. And, you know, it just doesn't make little mounds and ruts and all that and kill the grass. And so uh, so one of the things she does is she's tried everything. And some, sometimes she uses these poisonous worms. They do okay, but we've tried a lot of different things. But one of the things she likes to do is I just go to I go to Walmart and I buy a whole several gallons of bleach, and then I get um, a bunch of ammonia. You know, bleach is good stuff. I mean, if you're going to wash your white clothes, not so great for your colored clothes, but your white clothes, bleach mm-hmm. works well. Uh, ammonia cleans things. Ammonia is a good cleanser. But you put ammonia and bleach <laughs> together, and dear Lord, you want to get out of, I mean, out of sight. That stuff is toxic as it can be. So she'll pour this ammonia into their mouth. She'll dig a little hole into their hills. You can see where they dig, you know, their tunnels. And she'll pour some ammonia in there. And then pour some bleach and boy, starts smoking out of there. And then she stomps the hole closed so it stays in there. And that stuff will kill them. I mean, if it's rain or that is so is it explode toxic. in there? No, it doesn't explode. It's just okay. toxic. Okay. It's toxic fumes. The fumes okay. are toxic. Huh. Now, there may be a way to make it explode. I mean, it doesn't explode for us. It's not like Has you ever no. tried putting Mentos and Diet Coke down yeah, the Yeah, and I've see seen that. that. <laughs> I've seen those. That's how YouTube got big. You know, that? that's how they no, exploded with that. Yeah, oh, really? that's, that's a whole other story. But anyway, the uh, so that's just a, I thought it was a pretty good analogy that, you know, ammonia's fine stuff, chlorine's fine stuff, but you put them together and it's toxic. And you can try to mix your grace and your works. It's toxic. I mean, the minute you say that, well, you know, yes, Jesus died for me, died for my sins, and we believe in the good news of the gospel, but you better be a follower, Jeff. Mm-hmm. You know, you better be a disciple. You better be living the Christian life. You know, you better you better have, you know, you better be doing this. You better be attending church, reading your Bible all the time. You got to pray so much. You got to share your faith. You got to give. You got to serve. You got to have a Christian worldview. You got to be mission-minded. I mean, you have to start laying all these things on people. What you've done is you've created something that's toxic. Yeah. And there's a, there's a not-so-subtle shift there. You've just put the burden on us rather right. than on Christ right. and right. the power of the gospel. And whenever you hear something 
teaching or read something that leaves you with a sense of, okay, this is what I've got to do now. It all depends on me. Then you're not hearing the gospel. Uh, And so it's, um, yeah, it is, it is toxic and the letter kills. And, um, you know, that's not life. That's not eternal life with here. So, um, I got a few just random things. Let's see, where do I want to start here? Um, I heard this phrase that I mentioned it before. Jason Clark, I've been listening to his podcast and his, his partner says, desperation is not the high water mark of spiritual maturity. I'll read that again. Desperation is not the high water mark of spiritual maturity. Well, for a lot of people, they say it is though. Right. I mean, a lot of songs des- kind of yeah, imply that. I'm for desperate yeah, for you. I'm yeah. de- and so the more, and the more yeah. you can come across as just desperate for more of God. Or you think, well, these people this, just need the gospel. I mean, but but know, it is, it's kind of in, in a lot of circles that's viewed as spiritual maturity. Oh yeah. That right. The more, right. the more desperate you are, the more spiritual mature you are. And that is not the high water mark of spiritual maturity. It's resting in, Okay, and I think I have a I have a new way of thinking to explain that. But go ahead. Well, that's, I mean, I mean, that's another way. Yeah, you know, I think we both say when you start to see the gospel, and, and not, you know, I'm sure there's more for us yet to see, but there's just a sense of relief, just a sense mm-hmm. of just. Whew. And I think when you start to sense that welling up in your heart, that. Whew, then you're on the right track. Okay. I, think, I think you're right here in the gospel with that as opposed to you need to be more desperate and this type of thing. Right, well, I so. totally agree with that. All right, let me give you a, a, a new phrase okay, that, that I think explains why what people go through, what people are living in, um, Christians particularly, and um, explains a lot of their frustration. And also I believe it explains why they are resistant to the gospel. Um. So let me say to you like this. You know, there's so much we've talked about. The story is so rich, the prodigal son story, okay? Um, so the prodigal son, you know, basically he's just, he's desperate. He can't have any more food. He can't even eat the pig's food, you know, and he just wants to come home and be a, a servant. And, you know, he's, he's doing this to survive, okay? So what is the one thing that the father solves for the son instantly you know think about this he's coming home he's got his speech prepared mm-hmm. um he didn't get his speech out you know the story the father grabs him puts a brings him in puts a robe on him new robe ring on his finger sandals they kill the fatty calf they have a party they celebrate um so what what is what switched pretty much instantly for the son. And I would say it's, it's this. The son, prior to the father embracing him, was in survival mode. He was in survival mode. He was mm-hmm. just trying to exist. He was ready to go home, okay, yeah. be a servant. He was in survival mode. Just to keep from dying. Just to keep from dying. Most Christians live in religious survival mode. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're afraid of going to hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're afraid God doesn't love them or God doesn't accept them. They're not doing something enough. And I would say this. For instance, let's picture it like this. So you're running from a dragon, and you're in survival mode. I mean, this dragon is breathing fire, and he's after you. And we'll just pretend this dragon's real, and he's after you. And you'd better run. You know, if, if mm-hmm. the, there's a dragon, you better be running, and you better be hiding. That's mm-hmm. you're, you, you are in survival mode. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have time to, you know, stop and admire the blue sky and the green grass or the, the, the people that God's put? Not if you're in survival mode, you don't. Right, okay, yeah. You don't. You better not. I mean, you're in survival. You are in, then you are in survival mode. I mean, I'm you sure got, people in, with military experience can yeah, relate to that. Yeah, you're running high. I yeah. mean, nothing else matters but one thing: yeah. surviving. 
That's what you have to do. And so a lot of Christians are in survival mode because they're afraid God's going to reject them. They're afraid they're going to go to hell. Or or reject them even the, the hell too, but yeah, yeah also now, miss but, out on his blessings. Yeah, yeah they're, 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 just, gonna, they're, in survive, they're trying yeah, to survive. Yeah. It's kind of like getting a, I mentioned the other way, getting a D in Christian life. Yeah. You just want to not fail. You know, yeah. you're just trying to but survive. But it's, but it's, it's even more than just, I don't want, I can, I'm not living up to what God wants. They're who really are trying to survive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's life and death to them. And they're always wondering, am I doing enough? Shall I be doing more? Am I doing it wrong? Am I falling short? Um, and you can't, when you're, when you're in survival mode, you cannot tell somebody, you need to rest. Yeah. You need to relax. Yeah. You need to enjoy. You need to have peace. You, you can't do that if you're in survival mode. Right. And a lot of people, I believe, a lot of Christians resist the gospel because they're in survival mode. They realize they don't, they don't have the luxury of just resting in Christ. They don't, they don't think they have the luxury of being able to have a relationship with God, seeing God as yeah. their father. They've got to survive. And so, you know, one of the side effects of grace of the gospel is joy. That's a yeah, side effect, oh, yeah. you know. That's and a huge. The reason we don't see a lot of Christians with a lot of joy is because they're again, they're in survival mode and when you're in survival mode, that's all you can focus on. Mm-hmm. So anyway, your thoughts the, on oh, that? I think it's great. Um I think a lot of a lot of uh, folks that are trying the best they can, they kind of feel like if they let up, then they're just going to become an all-out reprobate. I mean, that but, if I don't stick to the program, if I don't, if I'm not faithful enough, I am just going to become the worst person in the world, and there is no sin. I'm not, you know, type well, see, of thing. But but when you when you see things through the survival mode mm-hmm. kind of model, that makes a lot more sense to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't afford it. I can't afford to, to right. do it because I I can't afford to mess up. I I might get eaten up. I'm burned up by the dragon. I, yep. You know, I'm going to get I'm run gonna over. Fall star- in some horrible, horrible sin yeah. type of thing. I'm, and, but this thing know, is yeah. after me. Yeah, and a lot of people are just uh, they're fearful. Okay, the other what I was was started to say on the prodigal son, which I would agree with what you said. And this kind of all goes together, I think. So what changed him from survival mode? I think he instantly saw his father differently than he was picturing him. You know, he he saw who the he saw who the father was, and he saw who he was in the eyes of the father. Well, let me ask so you, what came first, though? What came first? Did, did it was the father's reception of him that came first, though? Oh, yeah, mean, right. Yeah. I mean, it was the father taking him out of survival mode, and the son yeah, realizing yeah. I, I'm going to get a fatty. Cap. I don't have to worry about right. whether I'm getting pig yeah. food tonight. I'm getting beef. And so, for for people today, for us today, you know, what changes us from survival mode out of survival mode? is seeing who God is and who who he sees us as. You know, we, we, we don't realize who God is. We don't realize who we are. And when we don't realize who how good God is and that God is love and, and we're his children, that, um, yeah, the, the default is survival yeah. mode. And, but, and, if you, and if you live in survival mode, if that's your thing, mm. that you've got to do more, try harder, you got to outrun this thing, then you're not going to have peace. You can forget that. You're not going to have much joy. You can pretty much forget that. You're not going to really have, I don't believe, a healthy yeah. relationship with God, your Father. You can pretty much forget that. You're in a survival. You just got to run hard. Yeah, and you can relax with that, like we talk about. And, I mean, okay, another analogy in my life, I thought, and it's actually inspired. Baxter Kruger tells a similar analogy with one of his boys, but it, it, I have my own experience with one of my grandchild, grandchildren right now. Uh, one of her youngest is Naomi. She just turned three. 
Uh, it's a great age for grandchildren to enjoy them. Um, very kind. It's happened numerous times now. When when she sees me for the first time, it may be at our house, it may be at their house. It happened at our congregation, at the church building a few weeks ago. She sees me at a distance, like 10 or 15 feet away. She'll say, Papa, and she will run to me in a dead sprint coming mm-hmm. right at me. Yeah. And, like, if I don't do something, she'd probably get hurt. If I just stood there <laughs> yeah. in a rush, she'd probably get hurt. But, you know, she sees, you know, so she goes, Papa, and she goes running to me. Of course, that thrills me. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And so I bend down and I'm ready to catch her and I pick her up and lift her up and hug her and kiss her mm-hmm. and tell her, Papa loves you. Then, you know, she doesn't want to be held real long. After that, yeah. she's ready to get down yeah. and run. Yeah. But just, I mean, think about what's in her mind at that point, I mean, she's only three, so she's not processing a whole lot intellectually at this point, but there is not one ounce of doubt in her mind, Mm -hmm. in her being that I am not going to pick her up. You don't think she's thinking, I wonder if I'm being a good granddaughter. (laughs) I wonder if I'm living up to his expectations. I mean, it it never, are there any principles I should be employing at this time? Because I mean, she, but then they'll carry this on farther. Suppose someday while I'm not there, somebody comes in and says, you know, I need to tell you some things about your papa. (laughs) He's, he's a boy. He's got a, he's got an angry side. He, he's, you know, he, he kind of likes you, but, but boy, if you don't act right, he can really be upset with you. And imagine how, how horribly sad that would be for someone to plant in her mind a lie about how I feel about her. Mm-hmm. And if that's not religion, right. that's I don't religion. know what is. That is. I mean, that's what religion does is plant in the, in the, in the minds of people that, um, distorts the face of God and who God I mean, that's, is. That, and that so was the there. life from the garden, from the get-go. I mean, yeah. that was oh, saying, yeah. no, yeah. he doesn't have, God does not have your best interest right. at heart. Yep. yep. Yeah, he wants, he, he, he's withholding from you. Yeah. And once you start down that path, um, then that's that's a long, hard road. And that's why, the, you know, back to the Christmas thing we covered last week, you know, such a joyful occasion. I saw this meme you may have seen on Facebook. Oh, that's pretty good. It said, uh, so this fits in religion, all that. Stop trying to sit at the tables Jesus flipped. Did you see that? Uh, that's pretty good. I'll read that again. Stop trying to sit at the tables Jesus flipped. Okay. Think about that. So what were the, so Jesus flipped the tables in the in the temple. So what why did he do that? What was that about? That was religion. That was trying to it was misrepresenting God to the people, using the people for their own benefit, mm-hmm. for their own financial being, for their own status, for all that. And demanding all this, so just a world of religion, and he flipped it over. But yet, when we try to go down this path of, of a mixed gospel and trying to do that, we're, we're essentially trying to sit at the tables that Jesus flipped over. Yeah. So, oh, that's pretty yeah. good. Well, you want something totally random here? Okay. That I probably should have told, said at the Christmas um, our Christmas special, but you know, we we all one of the big Christmas presents everybody gets now are the power tools. You know, you put your power yeah, I've got drills and all the that. Okay. And they have these, you know, these batteries are now where you can use the battery in yeah. different power tools. Well, and they're they're torqued batteries. You know, they're just they're just batteries that are pretty strong batteries. Okay. Do you know where we got those? I have no idea. Who invented the idea that yeah, because it wasn't that many years ago when all you got were D batteries and mm-hmm. nine volts and you had little batteries. It wasn't until, I mean, fairly recent we had these big old batteries you could latch onto power tools. NASA invented those okay. because the astronauts couldn't use, you know, they couldn't plug something in when they're hanging around in outer space. <laughs> they couldn't you know, run to Home Depot and pick yeah. up some more D and batteries. And so they had to invent 
ways to have tools. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I just thought I would throw that's well, a random little fact. You always, hear, was, you always yeah. hear about one of the benefits of space exploration yeah. is they come up with all these inventions yeah. that do end up helping us, yeah, us earthlings came, yeah. down yeah. here and all that. Yeah. <laughs> um, let me, I think you're really like this. Listen to a, right. I think this, uh, I think this came from the taco podcast again that I've been listening to. Um, oh, by no, the way, t- you mean, so, okay, now you just okay. throw that yeah, out. Okay. Tell me what all you right. mean by that. So it's a podcast. Uh, it's called uh, rethinking God with tacos. So a um, couple of guys from North Carolina do this, and so they just love tacos, and so they always ask their guests to give them a taco story. And it is kind of a clever marketing title. A taco that. story? Wait, how many taco stories can well, there like be? Well, like if I mean, someone asks you, Roger, okay, we think of tacos in your past, your entire life on earth. Is any, do you have any story related to no. tacos? Well, some people do, some people a don't. A taco story? <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. Um, so anyway... And actually, I'll tell you more afterwards. Uh, the, one of the guys um, I learned on Facebook, when I looked at the Facebook page, uh, we had a mutual friend from someone that you and I went to Bible college with. Oh, and really? so I ended up messaging him, and yeah. he said he knows them real well. I'll tell you more about that later. Okay. It, it wouldn't mean anything to our listeners right. here. But anyway, okay. um, but anyway, they had a guest on there. I don't even remember now who the guest was. Well, they have a guest almost every week. Um, we're talking about putting our theology to work in the world with real people. I mean, it's so easy for us to come up with all these doctrinal theological things and framework, and but the real okay, does this work in the real world? Mm-hmm. You know, does this work in people's yeah, lives? So like and, a so what? Yeah, kind of and, the, and they mean, had a quote from John Wimber, and I didn't I didn't remember this quote, but I believe they're right. Said one time John Wimber, so John Wimber basically started the the Vineyard Churches, or what the Vineyard movement from the seventies, and but someone asking, "Where's the meat in your sermons?" And he says, the meat is out on the street with people. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. So whatever you're thinking of, how you how the Christian life is constructed in your mind and your thinking, is it going to work if you go out on the street and really have a chance to talk to somebody? About yeah, there's a lot of things we there. teach and believe that really only function, if they function at all, only function within Christian circles yeah. and within yeah. are the context of of our box churches, you know. And so. so does does the message that we have to share, does it work in the real world? Yeah. And I think that's something to really um, kind of ask ourselves with that. So um, are we about done? You're oh, one, one other little thing that's kind of separate from that. Uh, Paul Goff, I really like listening to him, and I think he spells his name G-O-L-F, but it could be G-O-F-F. But I think it's like the sport golf, but don't, t- don't hold that against him. But he said, well, he I talked, already don't like him. Uh, he talked about he's from uh, <laughs> England. Talking about church, the church has created cohesion through the pulpit, and he's he's saying that not in a good cohesion way. Cohesion through the cohesion, pulpit. Cohesion through the pulpit. Yeah, and that's well. you know we're getting away from. And this point was we we're getting away from that because of technology and the internet and YouTube yes, and all we that. Are. But I mean, before you a lot had of the people internet, were upset about that too, Jeff. <laughs> let me just tell you, before that's you not had a, before okay. you had the internet, the for many Christians, the cohesion all revolved around a pulpit right. speaker. Yeah. You had a popular preacher, a popular minister, and that's what united us. And now, in a, in a good thing, we're getting away from that. Now we can, you know, coalesce around internet preachers now or whatever. But the idea that that our cohesion is in the person of Christ, yeah. and who He is and what He's done. Yeah, there's, so. you know, I've said before, there are Bible teachers in, you know, like for instance on TikTok or some on Instagram that have, you know, they're they're doing this. Bible study from their garage yep. or from that have several hundred yep, yep. thousand, and I know people <laughs> miserably really upset about this. Like, man, guys, just teach them, man. He's got hurting. Well, you know, some of the people that are listening to him, 
And, and some of the stuff they're saying is Maybe pretty good. Working. They wouldn't have heard it in your church. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like for them is this or nothing. And so, so do you have any closing thoughts? If we have any scurvy dogs that are listening to our podcast from as the pirate Bible reads that you want to say or anything? Or? Well, I'll have to think about that. I, I, I'm, I'm not done with the scurvy dog thing. I, I got to ponder that one. I do like that. So if you're mixing law and grace, you're a scurvy dog. Is yeah, that I think right? It's, I think it's, yeah, I think it's what you're saying. I mean, that's so. what, according to the Pirate Bible. So we making that the title of this one? The scur- you, you, you scurvy you, dog. You scurvy dog. That's right. You scurvy dog. <laughs>